All right, let's take out our Bibles together and let's go to Colossians today. Today we're going to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I said it last week, I'll say it again this week because of the weather once again. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, God says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, it will not return to him void, but he says it will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. And so we're letting God's word go out right now this morning. Colossians chapter 3, we're actually going to look at one verse today and then we'll look at a, a couple other parts of scripture along with it. Colossians 3 verse 16. The idea this morning is we want to let the word dwell inside of us richly. Let the word dwell inside of us richly. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to start off with something a little bit different. We're going to have a Bible trivia pop quiz. I'm going to give you an eight-question Bible pop quiz. All right, This is not open book. This is from your, your mind. What do you know? How, how, how well do you know the Bible? We've got eight questions. You can either answer these in your head or answer these on a sheet of paper. And then I'll give you the answers after I give you the eight questions. Okay? We want to see... How well do I know my Bible? Just to get a, a, a kind of an idea in our heads. All right, so let's answer. And then as we go back through the answers, let's be honest with ourselves if we got them or if we didn't. All right, eight questions. Number one is this. And we'll go a little bit quick here because these, these can be answered quickly or, you know, maybe quickly you can be like, I don't have the answer. Question number one, who wrote the book of Acts? Just from memory, who wrote the book of Acts? Question number two, what are the names of Jacob's mother and grandmother? Jacob's mother and Jacob's grandmother. That's question number two. You've got two answers for question number two, technically. Number three, what was the name of Jacob's youngest son? That's question three. Question four, name the first three kings of the nation of Israel. The first three. Question five, where in the Bible would you find the Sermon on the Mount, book and chapter? Where would you find the Sermon on the Mount? Question six, where in the Bible would you find the Ten Commandments? Where in the Bible would you find the Ten Commandments, book and chapter? Question seven, how many books are there in the Old Testament and how many in the New? So two answers again for this question. How many books in the Old Testament how many books in the New Testament? And then finally, question number eight. Which one of Jesus' miracles is recorded in all four Gospels? Which one, there's only one, of Jesus' miracles recorded in all four Gospels? So real quick, the questions again in case you missed one. Number one, who wrote the book of Acts? Number two, what were the names of Jacob's mother and grandmother? Number three, what was the name of Jacob's youngest son? Number four, name the first three kings of the nation of Israel. Number five, where in the Bible would you find the Sermon on the Mount? Number six, where in the Bible would you find the Ten Commandments? Number seven, how many books are there in the Old Testament and then how many in the New? And then number eight, which one of Jesus' miracles is recorded in all four Gospels? Okay? Got your answers? Got some answers, maybe? I'm going to go through them. Okay. Now... 
what I want you to see is these are kind of like fundamental facts about the Bible. And for some of us, you might be like, well, I did okay. Others of us might be like, man, I need to know my Bible. Right? So, so here's, here's the answers, one by one. Question number one, who wrote the book of Acts? The answer is Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Number two, what were the names of Jacob's mother and grandmother? We're talking paternal grandmother here because we don't know anything about the other. Uh, his mother's name was Rebecca. His grandmother's name was Sarah. These are the wives of Isaac and Abraham. Number three, what was the name of Jacob's youngest son? Remember the 12 tribes of Israel. The youngest was Benjamin. Number four, name the first three kings of the nation of Israel. Remember when Israel asked for a king? They didn't have one up until then. The first king was Saul. The next king was David. The next king was his son, Solomon. Where in the Bible would you find the Sermon on the Mount? The answer is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. If you said Matthew 5, you get a point there. We'll count it. Number six, where in the Bible would you find the Ten Commandments? You've got two chances here. Two chances either Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5. Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, Number 7, how many books are in the Old Testament? How many in the New? There's 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. And which one of Jesus' miracles is recorded in all four Gospels? That would be the feeding of the 5,000. Feeding of the 5,000. So like I said, how'd you do? You don't have to raise your hand or give me any number, but the idea is this. How well do we know our Bibles? These things are very just fundamental facts about our Bible. We're not getting into the weeds here. My granddad and my grandma used to have this Bible trivia game where you would open it up and and me being a a minister, I would think, hey, I'm going to do pretty good in this. And you couldn't get any of the questions. They were really hard and really detailed, but... This is just fundamental stuff, right? This is Sunday school material. So, how well did you do? See, lately we've been talking about 2022 as perhaps the year that we start pursuing God more deeply and more fervently than ever before. I want that for you. I want 2022, for the the members of Columbia Christian Church, I want it to be the year that you started pursuing the Lord more deeply and more fervently than ever before. We talked about spiritual disciplines lately in our our sermons on Sunday morning. Today we're going to talk about God's Word. Let's go to Colossians 3.16. We're going to read the the whole verse, but just this one verse. Colossians 3.16, where Paul says, and God says to us through the Apostle Paul, let... The word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I want to point out two things that Paul says here for our purposes today. Number one, the first thing he says is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All of us, that's a command to every single one of us, let the word dwell in you richly. How are we doing that? Now, I'm here to tell you, it starts with our desire. It starts with desire. None of this is going to matter if you don't want more of God through his word. It starts with a desire. That's why I prayed earlier. I pray this all the time for our church. I pray that the Lord would grant us 
a hunger and a thirst for him and his word. A hunger and a thirst. It starts with desire. In 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 2, it says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. The NASB and CSB actually say they're the pure spiritual milk of the word. And I think that's the correct sense of the verse there. They're right to add it in. The pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so here's the idea that Peter's saying to us. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Psalm 34. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? If you have, then like newborn infants, crave, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. What happens when a newborn infant is hungry and doesn't get their bottle? I'll tell you what happened in me and Jennifer's house. It was anarchy, right? I'm yelling at her. She's yelling at me. Get the bottle. Like, we, we can't heat it up fast enough. The baby is wailing, and your, your stress levels are rising. That baby is so intent, so single-minded, so focused on getting that milk, right? Getting that food. They are craving it. And that's what Peter's telling us, like newborn infants. And what happens, at least it, with our babies, what happens when that, that newborn finally gets that bottle? Our babies would do this. Ours would go... Right? They, they would just be like, oh, thank goodness. I've finally got, I've got some relief. Now I've got what I needed. Right? It's a single-minded craving. And Peter says, do the same thing. Crave, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. This starts with desire. Let's think about the desire of David. David's psalms are full of the language of desiring the Lord. Listen to Psalm 42, starting in verse 1, where David says, As a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Or the NIV says, when can I go and meet with God, right? As the deer is panting for water, right? He's breathing hard. He needs that water. David says, so my soul pants for you, O God. I'm panting. I'm longing. I'm craving more of God. My soul thirsts for God. When can I go and meet with God? Remember, Jesus himself said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst For righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It starts with desire. It starts with desire. And if you don't have that desire, none of this is going to matter. But if you do have that desire, then where do we go from there? Well, if we're going to let the word of God dwell in us richly, we have to make it a priority. We've got to make the word a priority in our lives, right? You have priorities in your lives. You have priorities that that take precedence over other things. If you've got a job, getting to work and keeping your job and doing a job for a paycheck, that's a priority. You're going to switch schedules around. You're going to switch your life around to make sure that that happens. What kind of priority have you given God's word? What kind of priority can you give God's word? One of the beautiful things about being a human being is that we can change. Right? We can change. We can change our habits. We can change our priorities. We can change our schedules. We can sit down on a, a new year, perhaps, and take a look at our lives and say, 
what do I need to move around? What, what things do I need to keep doing? What things do I need to stop doing? What things do I need to start doing? Right? We can change. We have the ability to do these things. And every now and then it's so healthy to just take a step back and look at our lives. What kind of priority am I making God's word? When will I read God's word? How can I make this a habit in my day-to-day life? Ask questions of yourself like, when's the best time for me to sit down and read God's word and spend time with him? Right? When's the best time in my schedule, with this season of life, with the way that, that I am? Are you a morning person? Are you a night person? When's the best time that you can sit down with as little distractions as possible? And this is going to be different for different periods of time in your life, right? Differences in family life, difference in ages of kids and how late or early they get up and things like that. How can I make this a priority in my life to let the word Dwell in me richly. It's not enough just to desire it. We've got to put our desires into action, making this a priority. But then, let's find numerous ways to get the Bible into our minds and into our hearts. Not just sitting down and reading it regularly, which we should be doing, right? Which I hope you're doing, sitting down and reading the Bible regularly. But let's find numerous ways to get the Bible into our hearts and minds, because Paul says, let it dwell in you richly. Not just let it dwell in you, let it dwell in you richly. So what what are the other ways that I can find to get the word into my mind, into my heart? For instance, for me, I, I listen to podcasts that talk about the Bible. I read books about the Bible. I listen to hymns and worship songs with biblically rich lyrics. Let's talk about it with other people. Right? These are all ways that we can do this, that we can let the word dwell in us richly. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 6, where Moses is saying of God's word, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses is saying, get the word into your heart, into your mind, into your life in all kinds of different ways. He says, talk about it with one another. Talk about it all the time with one another. Let's ask this question. When's the last time that you had a conversation about God's word outside of Sunday school and worship at the church? When's the last time you had a conversation about God's word? I'm here to tell you, you can live a life where you come to church every time the doors are open and you listen to Bible studies and to sermons every time they're offered and you can go home and never talk about it and never make it part of your, your conversation about your actual life. You've segmented your life into here's church and here's life, right? And Moses says, talk about these things. Talk about the words of God. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Talk about them. Talk about the Bible with one another. Talk about the Bible to your kids, to your spouse. Talk about God's words and how God's word is making a difference in your life. When, When you're eating, when you're walking down the road, when you're driving, find ways to talk about it. 
Now, you're not going to talk about it if you're not in it, right? You're not going to talk about it if you don't desire it. But if you do, find ways to talk about it. And then Moses says, they should be like frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So he's saying, put up pictures, put up signs in your house, on your mirror, in your car, at the office. Put up all kinds of things to keep it in front of you. Right? The word is that important. God's word is that important. We've got to find ways to get it into our head, to get it into our ears, to get it into our hearts, to keep it in front of us and to talk about it, not just when we're at church, but when we're going about our lives. Memorize scripture. It's a wonderful way to keep it on your mind. When we were in college, we did this thing called the topical memory system. It's put out by a group called the Navigators. You can still find this online. What, what they do is they send you this big list of verses that, that they've kind of deemed these are really good verses to memorize. And then they send you this little brown verse pack where you can take out your verses. They're all perforated and, and they send you all the versions so you can memorize in whatever version you want. But you take out the cards, you slip them down in your verse pack, and you keep that verse pack in your pocket. And what we would do in college is we'd have that verse pack and we'd, we'd be looking at it as we walked to class. And then when we'd sit down in class, we'd, we'd set it down on the desk. It'd be right there. When it's time to walk back, we'd, we'd take it out and kind of look at it. When it was time to go into our dorm room, we'd kind of sit it on our desk. The word is in front of us and we're memorizing, right? It's, it's kind of like front of mind. We're keeping it there so that we can be thinking about and meditating on God's word, not just when we're at church and not just when we're reading our Bibles, but all the time. Let the word dwell in you richly. The person who is hungry and thirsty for God is going to pursue whatever means are available to get God's word into their mind and heart. If you're hungry for it, if you're thirsty for it, you'll be like that newborn infant. However I can do it, whatever it takes, I'm single-minded, I'm going to get God's word into my heart and mind. Robert Sumner, in his book, The Wonder of the Word of God, tells a story about a man in Kansas City, this was quite a long time ago, who was severely injured in an explosion. His face was badly disfigured, and he lost his eyesight as well as both hands. He had recently become a Christian, and so one of his greatest disappointments was that he lost the ability to read the Bible. And this was back before widespread audio Bibles. And then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. And hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille. But his heart fell as he brought them up to his lips for the first time and realized that the nerve endings on his lips had been damaged to where he couldn't make out the characters. He couldn't distinguish between characters. But one day as he was trying to do this, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters and he could feel them. And he had an epiphany. I can learn to read the Bible with my tongue. At the time that Sumner wrote his book, this man had read through the entire Bible four times in Braille using his tongue. He was so hungry for the word of God, he was willing to do whatever it took. Whatever it took. If he can do that, if he can commit like that to getting God's word inside of him, what can we do? Those of us 
who have our senses, those of us who have the time, those of us who have access to a Bible that we can sit there and read anytime we want, how can we make it a priority? How can we crave the Bible like a newborn infant? Are we hungry and thirsty for God's word? Now notice the second thing that Paul says in verse 16 here though, and this will be our final point. He says, not only let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, but then he says, teaching and admonishing one another. Teaching and admonishing one another. That admonishing word right there is just another word for warning. But it's God's word. We're using God's word and we're teaching and admonishing one another in the body of Christ. Our church family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are teaching and admonishing one another or we are to be. For example, in Romans 15, 14, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you at the church at Rome. My brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. And watch what he says here. Able to instruct one another. Able to instruct one another. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Paul tells us to encourage one another with his words. He says, encourage one another with these words of mine. And then in Hebrews 3.13, the author of Hebrews says, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Instruct one another, encourage one another, exhort one another with the word of God. Not only are we to let it dwell in us richly, Paul says we are to come together and teach and admonish one another from God's word. We are to give God's words to one another. You see, the Christian life is not go home and study the word for yourself, and then when you're with one another, just be nice and loving. That's not the picture we get in the the New Testament of the Christian life. Now, you've got to be preaching to one another. You've got to be encouraging and exhorting and rebuking and comforting one another with God's words. There's a, a small little book that just recently came out by a guy named Jeremy, Jeremy Kimball called How Can I Get More Out of My Bible Reading? And he starts it out in a way that you wouldn't expect. The very first thing he says, what can you do to get more out of your Bible reading? The very first thing he says is join a local church. How do you get more out of your Bible reading? Join a local church, commit to a local church, and be involved in their teaching ministry. Why? Because then you will learn from others how to read your Bible. We've got to be giving God's words to one another, brothers and sisters. When we come together, not just go read your Bible at home, and then when when you come together with one another, just be nice. right? Be loving to one another. No, we've got to be giving God's words to one another as we speak to one another. And so, as brothers and sisters in Christ, don't just tell me that you're sorry that my loved one died. Tell me the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, 18. Remind me that Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. Let's give each other God's words. Don't just tell me that I've got to quit sinning. Tell me if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 8, 13. Don't just tell me not to doubt my salvation. Tell me that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. 
Right? Let's give one another God's words when we are with one another. It's not just that we, we're friends and our friendship is, is based on the fact that we're at the same church together. No, our, our friendship itself should be infused with words from the Lord to one another. And so we've got to teach each other. We've got to admonish one another. We've got to teach the next generation, church. We have to teach the next generation God's words. Listen to a few verses from Psalm 78, starting in verse 4. Psalm 78, these will be on the screen behind me. Psalm 78, verse 4 says, We will not hide them, God's words, from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Parents, grandparents, and those of us in the church who are not parents and grandparents, we must pass on the teachings of God's word to our children and grandchildren. We must. It is up to us. No one else is going to do it. It's up to us. Don't make the mistake that so many parents and so many grandparents and so many churches make and just assume that because our kids grow up in our families and in our church, they're going to believe the same things we believe. Don't make the mistake of assuming that. It's happening all over the world, all over America. Kids are growing up in church, and it's just assumed that because they're in church, they're going to continue in the faith as they leave, and then they leave, and they, they leave the house, and they leave the faith. We've got to teach these things to the next generation. There's no guarantee that our kids are going to grow up and follow Jesus, but we want to be able to say that we did all we could. We want to be able to say we did all we could. So parents, it's our responsibility. Grandparents, it's our responsibility. But church, this is our responsibility too. It's our responsibility as the church, not just parents and grandparents in general. How are we passing along the truth of the gospel and the doctrines of Christianity to our young people right now? It is not enough that they come to church And we say things like, be a good person, love other people, and don't do drugs or drink alcohol. That is not enough. So many times, there's there's a young person in the church and people say, that's a good kid. They're a good kid. We know what they mean, right? There's a lot that we love about that person. That kid's got a good head on their shoulders or something like that. It's a good kid. But what if we raise a bunch of good kids and they're on the honor roll, and they get good jobs, and grow up and get good houses, and marry a respectable person, and they end up in hell. There's a lot of good kids on a comfortable, respectable road to hell. We're not in the business of making good kids, right? We want to make disciples of Jesus. We want to help people know the Lord 
And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the gospel of Christ. Romans 10, 17. We want them to know God's word. We want them to know God's word. Remember, the person who is hungry and thirsty for God's word will get it in any way that they can, right? The person who is hungry and thirsty for God's word is going to go after it and get it in any way that they can. And one way that we offer here at the church is Sunday school. Sunday school. Now, of course, Sunday school, Sunday school is partially for our kids. But a lot of people think of it like that only, right? Sunday school is, well, I've got to get my kids to Sunday school so my kids can learn. That's important. It is. And we are to teach the next generation, right? But I want to speak to the adults this morning a little bit about Sunday school. Sunday school is an avenue that the church provides that we, we give so that people can come get God's word into their heart and mind with one another. So that we can do what Paul is saying in verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another and so letting God's word dwell in us richly. Sunday school is just as much for adults as it is for our kids. Here at the church right now, just the way things are set up right now, we've got two adult classes. We've got one that meets on the first floor and one that meets on the second floor. They both start at 9 a.m. One's a little bit more geared toward some older folks and one's a little bit more geared toward some less old folks. But it doesn't really matter. There's no, like, it, there's no line of demarcation that you can't go to one or you can't go to the other. But we've got classes where we're studying God's word together. And I would challenge each one of you. If you want to make 2022 a year where you're pursuing the Lord in a deeper and more fervent way than ever before. And if you want to let God's word dwell in you richly and you want to get it into your heart and your mind in any way you can. I'd encourage you to make Sunday school a priority. It starts at the the crack of dawn, 9 a.m. I know that's really hard for all of us to get to because, you know, we, we our work starts at eight and we'll never be late for that. But Sunday school at nine is just maybe too much. It's not a big deal to spend two hours with the church family on Sunday morning than one. But the idea is we're coming together to seek God through his word with one another, teaching and admonishing one another so that the word of God can dwell in us richly. You can't just study the Bible on your own and say that you're fine. That's not New Testament Christianity. Studying with others does so many things. Studying the Bible, not just on your own, but with others, does so many things. It gives you insights that you wouldn't have on your own. This happens in our Sunday school class all the time. People sharing their insights. And I'm, I'm like this all the time. I'm like, I didn't think about that at all when you just mentioned that on that verse. I did not see that because I've just got my own head and that's it. And somebody else did. They shared it with me. And I, I go back to my office and make a note. And the next time I'm preaching through that that book, I'm going to bring that out. And that wasn't even my own insight, right? You see insights, you, you see things that you wouldn't have seen on your own. Studying with others helps correct you if you are veering away from a biblical interpretation of a certain passage, right? When we study on our own, there are times where we can kind of start to interpret something wrongly. And we don't really know it until someone else corrects us. And we see, oh, my interpretation was off there. and That's good. That's healthy. Studying together bonds you together in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because you're not just talking about your lives and your your day and your job and your families. You're talking about God's word with one another. You're giving one another God's word. And it helps you 
It helps you to hold on to Jesus. That's what church is, really. Church is a group of people coming together saying, let's help one another hold on to Jesus so that we can make it, so that we can stay faithful until the end, so that we can finally, at the end, be able to let go, to rest in Christ, and to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're doing here. We're helping one another hold on to Jesus. Sunday school is a part of that, brothers and sisters. Studying with one another, not just alone, but with one another, is a part of that, a part of helping one another hold on to Jesus. Let me close with this. This is a quote from Welsh pastor Jeffrey Thomas on reading the Bible. He says, Do not expect to master the Bible in a day or a month or a year. Rather, expect often to be puzzled by its contents. It is not all equally clear. Great men of God often feel like absolute novices when they read the word. The Apostle Peter said that there were some things hard to understand in the epistles of Paul, 2 Peter 3.16. I am glad he wrote those words because I have felt that often. So do not expect always to get an emotional charge or a feeling of quiet peace when you read the Bible. By the grace of God, you may expect that to be a frequent experience but often you will get no emotional response at all. Let the word break over your heart and mind again and again as the years go by. And imperceptibly, there will come great changes in your attitude and outlook and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these. Often you will feel very, very small because increasingly the God of the Bible will become to you wonderfully great. So go on reading until you can read no longer, and then you will not need the Bible anymore, because when your eyes close for the last time in death and never again read the word of God in Scripture, you will open them to the word of God in the flesh. That same Jesus of the Bible, whom you have known for so long, standing before you to take you forever to his eternal home. Amen. It's a good place to end. And in light of those words, let's now spend a few moments in silent prayer, responding to the Lord, responding to him in light of what he has just said to us. As we pray silently, we encourage each and every one of you to respond to God, to say to God whatever is on your heart after what we just heard. And then afterward, we'll come back together. We'll have a time of invitation where anyone who needs to respond publicly to God's word can do so. Let's pray together.